about you, but I used to love Hello Kitty. I had Hello Kitty bed sheets, Hello Kitty plushies, Hello Kitty lip gloss kits. But then I read this story about Hello Kitty. According to legend, Hello Kitty was created back in the 1970s by a Chinese woman. Apparently, her daughter, 14-year-old daughter, was diagnosed with cancer of the mouth. The doctors told the mother that her child was terminally ill and there was nothing they could do for her. The mother refused to give up hope and visited every church in the city to pray for her daughter. When that didn't work, she came to the end of her rope. The desperate mother became involved with satanic rituals and devil worship. They say that in order to save your daughter's life, she made a pact with the devil herself. For curing her daughter's cancer, the devil demanded only one thing in return. She would have to create a cartoon character that appealed to children all over the world. The devil wanted to use the popularity of this cartoon character to trick people into worshiping Satan. When her daughter recovered from her cancer, the mother kept her promise to create Hello Kitty. As the story goes, Hello Kitty was designed with no mouth because of the daughter had cancer of the mouth. Hello Kitty's pointed ears represented the devil's horns. The word kitty means demon in Chinese, so Hello Kitty really means Hello Demon. They say that anyone who buys Hello Kitty merchandise is welcoming the devil into their hearts. Satanists all over the world use Hello Kitty as a secret symbol, and many of them actually tattoo the image on their skin. Devil worshippers refer to say Hello Kitty as the daughter of the devil. Of course, this is just an urban myth. Hello Kitty was actually created by a Japanese company, Sanrio. Right? I looked it up. Kitty does not mean demon in Chinese. But, in 1999, a brutal murder took place in Hong Kong. It later became known as the Hello Kitty murder. Three men kidnapped a young woman and kept her captive in an apartment for a month. They tortured her and then murdered her. It was known as the Hello Kitty murder because the kill killers cut off the victim's head and hid it inside, inside a Hello Kitty doll. Now that's a true story. And that's why I don't have any Hello Kitty dolls anymore. No plushies, no bed sheets, no things. When I was 16 years old, I got my first cell phone. It was a normal flip phone, one that blinked red when I got a new message. The first time I got one of my messages, I didn't think much of it. Him. I love you, me. I think you have the wrong number, sorry, lol. Him? No, I love you, me. Really? Well, dot dot dot. Who are you? Him. Your true love. 
I showed the message to my friend Christian. She laughed and shrugged her shoulders. I didn't reply to the mysterious man's text message, and I forgot all about it, honestly. I figured the poor guy had probably been trying to date some girl and she gave him the wrong number just to get rid of him. When I was 17 years old, I got a new Blackberry phone, which still had the blinking red light for new messages. I also got my first boyfriend. His name was Todd. One day in the middle of class, I noticed the red blinking light inside my purse. Making sure the teacher wasn't looking, I pulled out my Blackberry, held it under my desk, and read, Him. Where have you been? Me. Who is this? Him. I missed you, baby. You missed me too? Me. Sorry. Wrong number. Him. Don't play with me, sweet thing. Me. Seriously, you have the wrong number. I have a boyfriend. Bye. There was no response. Two days later, I received another message. Him. Jenna? He knew my name? I don't know how, but he knew my name. I showed the message to my boyfriend. Todd took the phone out of my hand and replied with an angry message. Me. Listen, dude, this is my girlfriend's phone. She doesn't know you, and she doesn't want to know you. You have the wrong number. If you don't lay off, we'll go to the cops. Stop texting her. At the time, it seemed to do the trick. The mystery man never replied, and I thought that was the end of it. When I was 18 years old, I got a new phone that went bing and whenever I received a message. I also broke up my bo with my boyfriend. The very next day, after Todd and I split up, the messages started again. Him, I've missed you. I stared at my phone in disbelief. It couldn't be the same person, could it? Maybe it was just Todd trying to freak me out one of his sick jokes. Me, who is this? Him, you know who it is. I'm glad you got rid of him. Me, who? Him, that scumbag you called a boyfriend. Seeing you with him always made me mad. I stared at my phone and reread. Seeing you with him always made me mad. Seeing you with him. Seeing you, was, was I being watched? Me, listen you creep, stop texting me, I don't know who you are, or if this is some kind of joke, but stop it. Him, no, you listen bitch, you're mine. If I see you with another guy, you'll regret it. By the way, do you leave your curtains open at night so I can watch you? I was sitting on my bed. I read the text message. Horrified, I immediately turned to look out my window. It was on the ground floor. Anyone standing in the backyard could see me straight into my bedroom. I jumped up and pulled the curtain shut. I called my friend Christian and told her what happened. She came right over and convinced me to go to the police. When we arrived to the police station, the officers were very helpful. I showed them my phone and they managed to track the man's number. They ended up finding a battered old Blackberry phone in an abandoned building about two blocks from my house. 
and there was gooey stuff all over it, as well as on the floor. The phone was registered to a man who had gone missing a few months before. He had still not been found. I changed my phone number and for a month or so everything was fine. Then, one night I went to a party at my friend's house. A lot of us were playing drinking games and quite a few had passed out on the couch or were throwing up in the bathroom. Some didn't make it to the bathroom. At the end of the night I realized my phone was and my purse was missing. I went around the house searching for it everywhere but I couldn't find it. I saw Kristen coming out of the bathroom and begged her to help me find my purse. We eventually went outside and found my purse lying in front of the yard. All of the contents were scattered around the grass. They started gathering up everything. Luckily, all of my money and credit cards were still there. The only thing that was missing was my lip balm, which I honestly couldn't care less about. I figured one of the drunk girls had probably been rummaging through my purse to borrow some lip balm and accidentally spilled everything out. Kristen and I decided to call a taxi, but then I took my phone out of my purse. I realized that someone had been using it to send a bunch of texts. The last was a bunch of gibberish, but I had an uneasy feeling in my pit of, the of my stomach as I scrolled through the messages. I was right. Some drunk girl had been playing around with my phone. She had answered messages posing as me. A whole conversation had taken place. Him. Hey, sweetie. Haven't talked in a while. Her. You're right. Sup, sexy. Him. How are you? Her. Good. You? Him. I'm just sitting here thinking about you. I missed you. Did you miss me? Her. Paul, you're funny. Where are you? Him. You know I can't tell you that. You already went to the cops once. Her. Cops? Him. You think I don't know? It took me a while to forgive you for that. Almost as long as it took me to find your new number. Do you miss me? Her. Lol. Sure. Him. I see you're not at home tonight. What are you doing? Her. You can't see me? Him. No, Jenna. I can see where you are on a GPS. That's not your at your house. Her. I'm at my friend's drinking. Him. Are you drunk? Wait there. I'll come and pick you up. Nine minutes later, the girl finally replied. Her. Okay, sorry, JK. This is not Jenna. I found her phone. Him. You stole Jenna's phone. Her. No, I borrowed it. Him. I'm coming there right now. What have you done with Jenna? Nothing. Don't come here, you creep, she responded with. Him. I'll kill you if you hurt her. Him. Answer me. You better not have hurt her. Him. You're dead. Her. Is that you in the red car? Her. Dude, you're creepy. I'm going inside. Her. WTF, was that you? Her. Kate, I'll stop. I'll leave the... F 
Now the rest was gibberish. P-H... I, I, it starts with that. I think she was trying to say phone or... But then it goes P-H-E. G-O-O-I 2362 O-G-M 4-T slash M-I 2-3 slash Y-3-4-4-0-Y sign then a comma. There was three more text messages like this, with letters and symbols as if someone has mashed the keyboard with their fingers. As I was reading the phone, the hand vibrated. Him. Jenna, hope you found your phone and purse okay. I had that girl that tried to steal them. Don't worry, she won't be bothering you again. <laughs> your lip balm tastes so good. I can't wait to taste it off your lips. I burst into a tears and immediately called 911, trying to explain the gravity of the situation. A patrol car arrived about 10 minutes later and the police officers found me sitting on the front lawn, sobbing. Kristen was trying to comfort me and a bunch of partygoers around me, trying to figure out what was happening. There was a man and woman officer. The man was older and bald, but the woman looked a few years older than me and looked worried. I tried to tell them what had happened, but ended up just handing them my phone while choking out things like texting me since I was 16 and already went to the cops and help her. As soon as the police figured out what was happening, they ran back to the patrol car and called it in. Hours later, using GPS, they managed to locate the other phone. It was in a lake. They pulled the lifeless body of the drunk girl out of the icy water. The phone had been stuffed halfway down her throat. When the police identified her, it turned out I had only met her once, and we had only one friend in common. Even though I didn't know her, I went to her funeral and listened to all the kind things her friend said about her. Her family was heartbroken. So many people loved her. I felt terrible about what happened. The guilt was unbearable, and even though everyone told me it wasn't my fault, I still blamed myself. The stalker had made me feel completely vulnerable. I was afraid that he would keep finding me. It seemed like the nightmare would never end. I changed my number again, then I moved houses. A good friend of mine, a guy named, named Matt, had a two-bedroom apartment and was looking for a roommate. I thought that would be the safe, safest option, you know. For a while, it appeared that my life would go back to normal. However, the messages started again. In the early hours of the morning, my phone buzzed. I reached for it and read the text with my tired, haunted eyes. Him. Found you. I stared at the screen, unable to move. Tears starting to well up in my eyes. Him, aren't you going to say hello? Tears started rolling down my cheeks. Him, you know I hate to see you cry. I froze for a few minutes. I didn't breathe, I didn't even blink. Slowly I turned my head and stared in horror at my bedroom window. Outside, on the fire escape, stood a man who was dressed in black from head to toe and silhouetted against the street light behind him. All I could see was the palm of his hand pressed against the window his hot breath was 
blocking up the glass. Didn't wait to see what happened. Jumping out of my bed, I ran to the hallway and burst into Matt's room, screaming at him to call the police. He was jolted out of his slumber. Jenna, what is it? He asked. The man I told you about, I shouted in horror. The stalker, he's here outside my window. Call the police. He was too stunned to move. I grabbed his phone and called my police to them myself. As I explained what was happening, my roommate's eyes grew wider. He reached into the closet, grabbed a baseball bat, and set down, off down the hallway. I tried to call him back, but he didn't listen. His footsteps came to a stop, and I heard angry voices and the sound of a struggle. Then there was a sickening thock. It sounded like wood colliding with something hard. A muffled voice shouted my name. I wasn't sure who it was. I heard someone moaning in pain, followed by a loud thud. Then the entire apartment was filled with an eerie silence. Matt? I yelled. There was no answer. I crept out of his room as I quietly made my way towards the kitchen, grabbing a butcher knife from the kitchen drawer. I pressed myself up against the wall and tried to not make any sound. In the doorway, I could see a large shadow appear. It was the silhouette of a man. He looked much larger than Matt. What do you want? I screamed. I already called the police. They're on their way. The man just chuckled. A quiet, mocking chuckle. Then he started walking towards me, and I could hear him uttering my name under his breath over and over again. Jenna. 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 Come out, why won't you? I didn't move. There was nowhere left for me to run. He came right up to me, and his face was inches away from mine. He was older than I thought he would be. His dark beard streaked with gray. His eyes were hollow with black circles underneath. His teeth looked like they'd been rotting in his mouth. I was holding the knife behind my back. As his big fat hand reached for my neck, I let out a criminal scream and lashed out as hard as I could. He stumbled backwards, a shocked look on his face. The knife was sticking out of his chest. I pushed past him and ran out the hallway. He tried to follow me, but when I looked over my shoulder, I saw him drop to his knees. Then he fell face down on the carpet. I wasn't sure if he was alive or dead. I didn't want to take the chance. I ran to my bedroom. I locked the door behind me. Matt lay slumped against the wall. A large purple bump already forming on his forehead. He was unconscious. I hurried over to him and cradled his head in my arms. As I waited for the police to arrive, I touched Matt's face lightly and cried into his chest. Then I heard sirens in the distance and soon the flashing lights were outside. The police yelled out when they entered the apartment, and I spoke them talking. Spoke to. I heard them talking out of my room. They broke through the bedroom door and locked, looked up gratefully. What happened in the hallway? The police officer asked. He came in through my window and attacked my friend. Then he was coming for me, and I stabbed him. The police officer looked puzzled. There's nothing in that hallway but a whole lot of blood. 
I looked over from him to the hallway and began screaming. I took my phone and threw it at the wall as hard as I could, shattering it. They took Matt to the hospital and brought me to the police station for questioning. Halfway through my interview, the officer was called out of the room. Then he came back. He told me that the body of the man had been found a few blocks away from my house. He had died of stab wounds. They identified the man and learned that he had a criminal record for stalking, kidnapping, and attempt murder. They broke into his house and found the room completely dedicated to me. I saw the pictures the p police photographs took. The walls were covered from floor to ceiling with images of me in some of them. I looked no older than 13. This man has been stalking me for almost my whole life. There was a lot of sticky stuff encrusted on the walls with the pictures. Then there was pillows and an old blanket on the floor. I thought I recognized that blanket. It was one I had lost when I was a child. They've also found the remains of a girl's body in his freezer. A girl who had disappeared almost 12 years earlier. She had been his first obsession. He was 48 years old when I killed him. He had no family or loved ones. He had lived like a hermit for most of his life. Matt got out of the hospital a week ago. He has a fractured skull and three broken ribs. We moved into a new apartment, one with an alarm system and reinforced windows. We are also officially boyfriend and girlfriend. I don't have a phone and I don't know if I'll ever get one. Whenever I hear the sound of Matt's phone ringing, it sends shivers down my spine. Guys, if you get strange texts from a random number, block it. If it goes as far as me, I wish you the best of luck. Be safe. Please try. At age 30, I was still single. My mother kept asking me when I was going to find myself a nice girl and settle down. I assured her it was only a matter of time, but I knew that was a lie. I'd been out of dating in over six months. All of my friends were already married and some of them even had kids. I was beginning to feel left out. That's when I decided to try speed dating. The event was held at a fashionable bar in the city center. I was just in my best shirt and pants, splashed some aftershave on my neck, and left the house. I was known as a strong tomboy. I was also clearly gay. When I reached the bar, I walked in, trying to project an air of confidence. I was shocked when I saw how many other people had shown up. I encountered 21 men and 21 women. I really hope that some 
run straight, because then that throws me out of the ring. The host explained the rules of speed dating. The women all sat at around the tables, or the ones who did want to sit, while the men could possibly sit at tables if they're open, or they moved from table to table, spending three minutes talking to each woman. When the buzzer sounded, it meant your three minutes were up and it was time to move on. When everyone was ready, the buzzer sounded and the speed dating began. The first girl I sat down was 21. She looked at me in dis distasteful thought. Clearly, she didn't lean this way. The second lady was 40-something-year-old. The third woman was really unattractive, and I caught a bad smell from the fourth. The fifth woman seemed really nice until she mentioned that she was divorced and had five children already. The sixth happened to slip that she had a bad history of drug addiction, and the seventh had a weird head shape. I began to give up hope of never finding a perfect match. The eighth lady was very fat, and sweat was rolling down her face. The ninth had false teeth that would fall out when she started talking, and the tenth was too skinny. The eleventh woman couldn't speak any English. The twelfth had a squished nose that made her look like a pig. The tenth, the thirteenth kept farting throughout our time together, and the fourteenth just stared at me and never said a word. I noticed when she stood up that she only had one leg and walked with Kane. <sighs> I was glad when the buzzer sounded and I was able to move along. The fifteenth woman had a terrible rash all over her body. I made the sixteenth lady laugh so hard that she threw up all over the table. Seventeenth seemed alright, except for the fact that she kept picking her nose and eating it. The eighteenth seemed unattractive, but she had a deformed hand. The nineteenth was in a wheelchair. When I got to the twentieth woman, I threw up in my hands in disbelief. She obviously had too much to drink and was curled up in a ball on her seat, snorting loudly. Just as I was completely skipping out early and going home, I sat down opposite of the final lady. She was one with a most lovely face I had ever seen. She had long flowing dark hair, bright green eyes, and a cute little smile. She was dressed completely in black. Black dress, black shoes, black everything. But she had a bubbly personality. Everything I said made her giggle. Her name was Karen, and she was 28 years old. She said she had qualified as a nurse, but she was currently unemployed. She had been married with two children, but after her kids died of cancer, her husband had abandoned her. I immediately felt sorry for Karen and praised her for keeping such a good upbeat attitude despite all the tragedy in her life. At the end of the night, we stayed chatting together and we got on like a house on fire. When it was time.
time to go, I asked her for her number, and we arranged to go out on a date the next evening. I couldn't believe it. I actually scored with a really pretty woman. Things went very well, and we began dating regularly. As the weeks and months passed, our relationship moved pretty quickly. It seemed as if we were truly matched for each other. After the seven months together, I decided to pop the question and ask her to marry me. Of course she said yes. After the wedding, I moved out of my small apartment and began moving my belongings into her home. I had a lot of boxes filled with old books and I asked her if I could store them in her basement. Relax, she said with a laugh. I'll bring them down there while you're at work tomorrow. The next few months were great. We never got tired of each other's company and I thought I had found true love. Unfortunately, something happened that shattered our blissful, ideal marriage and it changed my life forever. One Sunday, I was sitting in front of the TV reading the newspaper. Karen told me that she needed to go to the grocery store and pick up something for dinner. She kissed me on the cheek and just as that, she went out the door. I told her that there was a book I needed to get from the basement. Oh, the door is locked, she said. Wait until I get back. I'll go down there and get it for you. After she left, I became very curious. All the time I've been living with her, she never allowed me to go down in the basement. She always came up with some other excuse. I decided to explore while she was away. The basement door was locked, but after rummaging around, I, found a, I managed to find a key hidden at the back of the kitchen drawer. As soon as I opened that basement door, I smelt a terrible stench. The entire basement looked as if it hadn't been used in years. Everything was covered in a thick layer of dust, the concrete walls were crumbling, and the wooden stairs were damp and rotten. When I reached the bottom of the steps, the smell was growing. In the corner of my eye, I noticed a box with an old video recorder and some VHS videotapes. A strange curiosity overcame me and I grabbed the box and brought it upstairs. After plugging the video recorder in and hooking it up to the TV, I inserted the first videotape and pressed play. I never should have done that. The video was extremely shaky and gamey. In the darkness, I could barely make out the figure of a man tied to a chair. After another figure stood over him, wearing a black mask and dressed from head to toe in shiny black leather. A chill ran down my spine as I realized the figure was holding an axe. Suddenly, to my horror, it lifted the axe above its head and brought it crashing down, slicing off the man's head. He screamed in pain as the figure delivered more and more blows with the axe. I watched in utter horror, unable to tear my eyes away from the screen. Each blow off the axe hacked off another piece of the man's body, till his arms and legs were lying in pieces all around him, and he was just withering bloody torso in a chair. Throughout the carnage, the killer was giggling like a schoolgirl. 
With shaking hands, I reached out and stopped the video just as I heard a voice behind me. So, you stumbled on my dirty little secret, the voice said. She began to giggle. I don't remember what happened after that the next door's neighbors must have heard my terrifying screams and called the police. Four officers burst through the front door. They managed to tackle my wife and subdue her before she killed me. Then they rushed me to the hospital. Of course, there was a big trial afterwards. My wife was found guilty and the judge gave her the death penalty. penalty. Oh my gosh, penalty. I was present at the execution just before they threw the switch on the electric chair. They asked her if she had any last words to say. It's her own fault, she yelled. She never should have married me. Then she giggled like a little schoolgirl as the executioner pushed the leather and electricity surged through her body. Five minutes later, she was pronounced dead. Years later, I still have nightmares about her. I've been through therapy and the doctors say with time, I'll be able to overcome the horrific trauma and that I've experienced, but I don't believe them. While I was in the hospital, I met a wonderful wife. Her soon-to-be wife, she was of mine. Over the weeks and months, we fell in love. She isn't the most beautiful woman I've ever met and doesn't have a perfect body. She lost an eye and three of her fingers on her left hand in a car accident. Despite all of that, she's certainly the most loving and caring person a man can wish for. But despite to my, a woman could wish for. Inside, she has a heart of gold. Last summer, we got married and moved in with each other. She's helped me a lot whenever I read the newspaper. She turns the pages for me. Whenever I have an itch, she scratches for me. She managed to restore my trust in woman, but sometimes late at night when I'm lying in bed, I still miss my arms and legs. Take it from me, guys. Don't, please don't do speed dating. Hello, everyone. So I have already made three pos- podcast episodes. I am Mistress Creepypasta, and I will leave my email information in the bi- in my bio. If you guys have any stories that you would like me to read, I'll be more than glad to read them. They don't all have to be long, they can be even five minutes. I... I'm really excited to share your stories because I think the truth really needs to get out there.
Because we know we're not the only ones in this world. And there's not sane ones upon us. Not everyone is sane. Not everyone can be human. Not everyone is human. Not everyone lives through their stories. And then they come back to tell. So please, email me or Facebook. I don't anything, honestly. I probably won't leave my Facebook. But email me your stories and I'll read them. Goodbye, and just remember, don't estimate, overestimate the dark.